Hey guys, Daniel here. Kyle and I discuss a lot of things in this podcast. We talk about fires, we talk about the benefits of games with our friends, esprit de corps, and uh, like typical, our conversation meanders between pretty lighthearted and not as lighthearted. Thanks for listening. All right, so let's uh, let's first start out, and we can look at your setup because you have a pop filter, you have a stand. It looks like I, uh, you were just like in a in a podcast station. I've got the goods now. All right, let's. You gonna show it to me on the camera? Oh, I thought because this is did. primarily a video format, so. Well, except we aren't recording the video, but. Well, we could. We don't have to do that. All right, let's see. Okay, okay. Why wouldn't I be impressed with that? That's like ten times better than your coffee filter sock setup. Well. The reason I got it was I put it on my birthday list and my wife bought it for me. Well, I mean, I don't I don't care about the how the sausage is made. I just want to know that we got sausage. All right. Well, we got sausage. Okay. Well, there we go. Um, did you s- What do you think of the podcast booth? Uh, it's nice. Um, are you in a closet? Yep. Nice. That's ideal. Except it's on a metal chair or it's on a metal um not entirely metal, but it's on a little wood desk like they have in schools but the people who own okay. the house before us left a couple of them and so i figured oh i'll just take it and bring it um upstairs and put it in the podcast room and the thing i'm noticing though is there seems to be a little bit of a ring because it's we don't have enough clothes in here apparently and so mm-hmm. um there's a big opening where you'd put like binders and stuff that i think is acting as a little tinny amplifier so we'll see if you can notice that in the episode well i may have some extra are you coming back to vancouver fairly soon i am when are you coming to get all them light bulbs oh yeah so that would be the first weekend in october oh that's not too far um we could have uh i'll have some extra audio uh they're acoustical panels i could grab a, a couple from work we have to throw some out because they don't look pretty enough for our architect. Seriously. Uh, yeah. So the seams didn't didn't come together nicely, or when they were installing them, they got a little dented, and you know that's not acceptable. You know, I would say that's ridiculous. Except after my wife and I walked by Pullman High School here, um, mm-hmm. that is the most legit looking high school I've ever seen. The entryway is really? this big, open um, glass paneling. They've got multiple wings, all brick, multiple stories. Wow. You can the gym looks out on the football field. Um, the football field has very obviously home bleachers and away bleachers. Wow. Is it like one of them has um, like they're they're basically bucket seats with like recline, reclining feet and the other one is just like pieces of wood on stumps? Is that how it's obvious or it does it's not quite that bad, but there is quite the disparity. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then you walk up on the hill behind the school and you have this beautiful view of the whole Palouse. In fact, when we went up there, there were some high school kids who were going up and they had like a little science experiment going on at the top of the hill. So they were all up okay. checking their science experiment at sunset. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. That sounds great. Well, uh, how um, is your is your town on fire? No, actually, this is the first day I could even smell smoke. Um, all of Portland is on fire. That's what I, uh, so we have a friend who's staying. And there's a 20,000 acre fire 20 miles east of, of Vancouver. Yep. And then there's one south. Well, we have a friend who's, who's staying with us for the weekend and he was from, from church back there and he was showing us some of the orangey glow photos and telling us about how ash is falling out of the sky. Yeah. Yeah, the last couple of days when I've gotten to my car after work, it's it's been ashy. And then uh, I think I think the only thing that's left that would just kind of capstone this year off would be if the big one happened. Don't you think that'd just be like prime earthquake or volcano? Uh, I am not aware of the volcano unless you're talking about Yellowstone. Yep. Uh, yeah. Okay, I was thinking of the the big earthquake that's supposed to devastate the Pacific Northwest for fifty years after it happens. That one. That could happen too. Yes, I mean. It's... Yeah, but you know what? They could both happen at the same time. You get an earthquake that big. Uh, geologically, we're not that far from Yellowstone, right? 
Yep. So maybe one would cause the other, or it would just be, it would just be, you know, we got the murder hornets, we got fires. Uh, not only do we have fires caused by um, lightning and people throwing cigarettes out the window, we also have fires from people throwing Molotov cocktails. So, and I am not joking. Like, I just was somebody who I know was talking to somebody else. So this is third hand, but they were like listening to a police scanner. And um, yeah, me and me and my wife are going to come out and live with you and your wife. There are some project manager yeah. positions and accounting positions I'm sure. opening. I'm sure. Well, are there project manager accounting positions? That would be what I would be uniquely qualified for. Um, There was a... You, there may have been, actually. I'll have to go back <laughs> and check. Um, I got an email from a recruiter that was uh-huh. like, hey, hey, you have project management in your job title, uh, except I don't because I'm a project engineer. And he was like, we're, you know, you need five years of experience. You get paid 50 bucks an hour. Uh, it's for a great place in Portland, uh, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I don't know. Why do you think I'm qualified for this? First of all, the project management is in IT, not construction. Like, and I barely have a year and a half of experience in that world. <sighs> I Re- don't know. Recruiters, yeah. man. Oh, man. I got a message from a recruiter at Tesla. Any, no kidding. any guesses what his last name was? Tesla. Was it uh, Einstein? Was it? No. His name was, his last name was Coyle. Tim Coyle. So his email <laughs> handle was tcoyle at tesla.com. That is pretty funny. That is, that's pretty good. I think that's not primarily, but maybe a third of the reason he got that job. As a recruiter for Tesla. Yeah. T coil. Yeah, sure. Yeah. What do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a recruiter for a Tesla. All right, Jimmy, that's, that's oddly specific. Well, it'd be, it'd be Tim. Tim, what'd you say? I'm not listening. Timmy. Timmy. You could say Timmy. All right, Timmy. Okay. All right, Timmy. Well, uh, I hadn't done anything with our show notes. You actually created the show notes, and then I edited them in the last half hour. Did you Did you see that I did that? I saw you edited them. I hadn't actually created anything. I just saw that they were up. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I did do it. Maybe I did it back I then. I think you copied and pasted twice from the previous week or two weeks Perfect. ago or two I mean, times but ago. But you can see... You can see my initial feedback that my coworker made it to 10 minutes of our first podcast. Yeah, that's that's really funny to me. Yeah. Well, he actually, I, I wrote it down wrong. He made it to two minutes and then he was like, I can't stand this. And I was like, so, so there's, we found a, we found somebody who would not be our ideal uh, listener. I am very Derek. curious what, what, why? We didn't talk about it. Oh, you didn't ask him about it. It was a pretty rough, I mean, to be fair, that is a very rough cut. Like you and I are, I listen to most podcasts at one and a half speed. I'm not quite sure what happened, but it seems like that whole recording got sped up a little. And um, it was also the first podcast either of us had edited and um, oh, we that's both right. edited it. Yeah, we both did it. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. And so I think it was bad for that reason. Anyway, because like when you, I think when we both edited it, it wasn't. It didn't make it twice as good as if one of us had. It made it... It definitely made it worse. Yeah, it made it worse. So for everybody who listened to that episode and this one, thanks. Seriously, a very big thank you. Not you, Derek. You don't get a thanks because you won't ever hear this, I think. Um. So, but you... Okay, so you can see this. Uh, I haven't read any Lord of the Rings at all, so... So nothing to report there. Nothing to report. I started listening to an, an interesting audiobook. It takes place after, after the... I think it's after the tale of the two cities it was by charles dickens okay what was the um what are some famous books that he's written off david david copperfield the prince and the pauper hard times not hard times that was stud circle uh i'm conflating at the start of a tale of two cities with hard time i think it is i think it is the tale of the two cities then it was the best of times it was like, the worst of times no i haven't read it so it was just it referenced it do you know do you remember the name main character of that I haven't actually read A Tale of Two Cities. Oh, uh, boy. Okay, well, then we can just cut this part because that's Well, it's pretty be. funny, too, um, because I always get The Tale of Two Cities confused with The Scarlet Pimpernel, which are totally different. The Scarlet what? The Scarlet Pimpernel. It's a story a about Pimpernel? a dashing British, uh, I guess, noble who rescues um, French nobility during the purges after the French Revolution. Mm. I would kind of consider those during the French Revolution, but... And then he, he snorts a lot of cocaine, but it's okay because it's called snuff. Oh, sure. I had somebody somebody argue pretty hard that 
all of the uh, pipe weed that the hobbits have is weed weed. Because <laughs> they were talking about how Tolkien was ho- was always token up. And I was like, mm, I don't know, maybe. Um, I didn't argue too hard. It was just... It was just like a... There are certain arguments that aren't worth having. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, and that's... You know what? That is one of them. Oh, my wife told me about a great conspiracy theory. Can I share Let's it? Let's have it. Here? Or you would sure? that be yeah, a distraction? You, yeah. You can always edit this out if, if you just go, that was too far out. Yeah. Kind of. We should probably stop talking about editing stuff out. And then I just edited it out. I, so, uh, part of it is because I have problems saying edited. Edited. Anyway. It's very cute. Okay. Conspiracy theory. So the conspiracy theory she saw was that the fires are started to try and get Trump unelected because they're all along the I-5 corridor, you say, and it's during an election year. So the fires were started by Democrats trying to make Trump look bad. Doesn't that make like I... the most sense you've of any idea that you've ever heard? Um, who benefits? Like, how does it how does it make it so Trump doesn't get elected? Don't think too hard about this, Daniel. No. I mean, if we're going to talk about it, we're actually going to talk about it. Kyle? I have no idea. It was just... Who did she hear this from? Um... Was it on Fox? It was on Facebook. <laughs> but but she said Was it was it was it your like weekly your day you, you guys' during your guys' daily uh, ritual of Rush Limbaugh? No, it was definitely during fa- it was definitely when she looked on Facebook. And okay. she said it made her think that she could literally write whatever she wanted and make it about politics and it would get shared as truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, so so this this story of these people starting fires in their own backyards in Portland, like I can understand. Like it's not like I agree, but I could understand somebody um, because it's because there have been enough arsonists. Like I understand that there are people who like to watch things burn, and they have like a fascination with that, and they're compulsed to do that, right? At some level. No idea what you're talking about. Are Are you serious? You're, you're like smirking at me like you have you never heard of an arsonist like you don't know that this is a thing in the same way that people steal things just to steal things and people are sick in the head. No, I just I very much like setting things on fire and watching them burn. Oh, you do? Yes. Okay. Well, we can discuss that uh, a different time. While while Washington, Oregon and California, Minnesota and Idaho are not all on fire at the same time. That would probably be good. Although I don't yeah, I don't know that Idaho really is on fire at the moment. Idaho's not really on fire. There are a couple small fires, um, but the primarily it is actually along the I-5 corridor where the big blazes are. I mean, San Francisco is surrounded by fires. But interestingly enough, L.A. actually doesn't have too many fires, but I think that may be because it's just been burned through too much recently in recent years. Hmm. Uh, Where I was going to go with that was I can't imagine somebody setting, like I cannot imagine setting my own backyard on fire. Oh, yeah, that is very weird. Like, I mean, I enjoy setting a bonfire on fire and kind of the challenge of getting it all to light, but it's definitely not... It's definitely fun when it's controlled. Like as soon as it gets, mm. if it were to start to get uncontrolled, that would cease to be fun very, very, very quick. Like ten seconds before mm-hmm. it happened, quick. Several minutes before it happened, quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've never, I've never had a fire be really out of control, except maybe once. My it was like I was, I don't know. It was during Fourth of July. Somebody set off a firework in it. We had all this. Uh, all these leaves on the side of our house and it had been it was like one of the five years that it was dry growing up for the fourth and um, they got in there and started to catch stuff on fire but we had buckets and everybody was like work together and hmm. there's a but that's about it yeah uh, I also know a yeah, lot of like, people who fight nice. wildland fires so I think that mm-hmm. that, that kind of gives you another perspective when you're going oh man this person's going out and putting their life on the line to try and stop this from just wreaking havoc on people's homes and stuff um well there was actually a small town uh probably within 50 miles of here that is gone literally yeah i think i saw that on the news on the the news yeah that that, yeah i mean this it's i mean it's kind of got me thinking about you know i don't know this, this brings up an interesting question i don't know where you sit on like global warming issues you knew that was coming, right? No, As I, started I going... actually thought you were going to go elsewhere. Where did you think I was going to I go? I thought you were going to go to Revelation, eschatology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are talking about that. The, the sun is definitely red right now. I will say that. It is red to me. But um, I think global warming is a far more... It, it's a topic we have... 
more more to say about in terms of no one knows the day and the hour but when it comes sure. to impacts that humans are having on um the the temperature of of the earth i think there are practical things to talk about there yeah and i don't even i like what do you think okay so so just generally like do you think that humans have caused the temperature to rise yes do you think there are things that we can do now to change that yes well then we don't have much to talk about because we agree so all right boring were you expecting a more scintillating conversation do you i just usually we disagree about stuff and you're usually well thought out and i don't know um uh, yeah. Supposed to just yes, no. Yeah. Well, no, no, Kyle. Because if you said no, then we could. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh. Okay. What? Do you, okay. So what's uh? What's been the most like? I don't know. What's anything significant happened to you in the last? We haven't talked for like a month, man. We haven't talked in a very long time. I was thinking about that and thinking about all the things I've been doing and how little I can remember. Yeah, me too. You got anything? Any any highlights? Like if there's a highlight reel. Well, we moved into our house and cleaned it up and are working on cleaning up the yard. It, um, we've been hosting people here and. So James came up and we worked on the nice the the tool that we're working on designing a little bit and what what uh, sorry what oh is it proprietary well I mean I could it, it's a it's something for a machinist oh I see and then does um does James do you know if he has access to a a metal three D printer um no most metal three D printer I mean you can you. You could put a job into a place like I wouldn't be surprised if Proto Labs has access to them. I mean, you're gonna hmm. you're gonna pay probably. Actually, I have no idea what you would pay for a three D printed metal part these days. Hmm. Um, but you could definitely get a quote with a supplier. Generally, those are done through third parties who sort of you outsource that to because the printers are hundreds of thousands of dollars. It would probably just be cheaper to put something in a forge and depending on what you're making yeah use a ham what so, do you want to make uh we have um an issue with space in the high school we just finished mm-hmm. um the so have you ever, do you know what a towel dispenser key looks like uh no it's essentially mm, an inch and a half okay so the key portion the part portion that opens it is rounded um about an inch and a, an inch wide and about mm, four millimeters in width so like if you were so if you look at the camera an inch wide four millimeters that way and that's it and it's rounded on both it just is kind of it's very simple right and there's not enough space to put the towel dispenser and have the room the normal key is made of this like it's injected molded Mm -hmm. and i mean it's you don't need very much pressure but i was thinking of putting an allen key like basically there's not enough room to put the key down because the cabinet is too close above it okay and so i was thinking of like using an allen key and then cutting off the long or the short end of the allen key and then putting something that you could stick in and then turn well why cut it off why not just do a plastic this is too long plastic 3d printed job that would stick on the end. Uh, basically because I think that people would try to apply too much force to the plastic version and it would need to be replaced. So often. so then why not like just have a machinist mill out something? I mean, that's a really small that part. It's well. probably going to be, it is. Um, I'd guess, a couple hundred bucks once you've paid for the machinist time and material and everything. Why not? Uh, yeah. I'll see. I mean, especially if this is for for work, your your boss should be happy to. Oh yeah, that he's he would he would be happy to pay that and to not deal with it anymore. Um, and I wouldn't. Yeah, we actually we've we've had um, we've had uh, my brother in law come and take photos a handful of times. Uh huh. And he's he's gonna he he came up today. Nice. Um, but yeah, it's nice to be able to help them a little bit. And it's it's he's had a really good product. Um, my boss has been happy with it. So that's how you know it's not nepotism. Uh, even if it is, it's like as long as the product's good, doesn't really matter. Exactly. It's not nep. I mean, it's not nepotism. I'm just giving you if guys was, a hard time. I know, but all of my work listens to our podcast, Kyle. That's also nepotism. No, you have to be related for nepotism. Kyle, do you know that words have meanings? They can mean whatever I feel like they should be. Uh, socialist. Um, do you? Uh, I kind of interrupted there. Uh, you were talking about James coming up and visiting. Yeah, and and it was actually for 
a um, engagement party for my brother. And it was pretty fun because we did a bunch of surreptitious things to not let my brother realize that James was in town. So that was a lot of fun. Nice. It's fun being secretive. He was very surprised. Ah, perfect. But then a couple of the conversations that stood out, I guess, well, well we had a um, a conversation with one of the guys who I think would be an expert we could bring on this podcast. But he was talking about um, gut bacteria and fecal transplants. And one of the things he noted is that his family was had pretty didn't have a lot of means growing up, and so they ate a lot mm-hmm. of beans and lentils and stuff. And uh-huh. the thing he's noticed is he can eat beans and lentils like crazy, and his body's just t- totally fine with it. But a lot of sure. other people he knows, if they eat a lot of beans and lentils, it just destroys their gastrointestinal tract. So <laughs> he was noting that the GI tract seems to be very adaptable to different diets. And so would somebody's gut eventually adapt well that's what we we weren't sure about is is whether you would need to do like a course of antibiotics to sort of clear clear out your gut or do a a fecal transplant um to seed here's a fun question yeah what is a fecal transplant because it sounds terribly gross yeah i mean there are two ways one is you can you can insert a fecal sample um directly or you can take a pill, and the pill has to be constructed correctly so that it gets all the way down into your lower intestine, into your large intestine, before it oh, dissolves. Oh, so right. It's disgusting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Kyle. I'm I'm a child, and you know this, because you're talking about poop. Right. You're using a nice word, but you're talking about but poop. But it's very, it's very crucial, because we're starting to see a lot of, um, and I haven't read up enough on this, but... The little I've read indicates we're starting to see a lot of interaction between the gut biome and the brain. And so for Oh sure. So actually for optimal brain function, you need to have a well functioning gut biome. You know what's kind of interesting? Um, is when I was growing up I ate a lot of um, junk food. Like okay. just just a lot of junk food. And it took several years of me eating vegetables on a regular basis for them to not just clean you out yeah yeah clean me out yeah it's like it took a long time it was very uncomfortable but you eventually did adapt and so your Mm -hmm. gut biome did develop the bacterial cultures necessary to digest that food instead of the junk food Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but i was i was really well adapted to junk food for a long time and even still i can um like my wife does not like eating a lot of starchy carbs but i can just put them down Mm -hmm. and um, if i don't eat enough carbs i definitely don't feel full even when i'm eating well how important is it to you to feel full at the end of a meal I would say that is the primary reason. Like, I, it depends. Um, I'm I'm somewhat of an emotional eater, right? And that, like, when I am really sad, I don't like to eat. Mm-hmm. And when I'm really happy, I do. And so when I'm with people, I, I don't know. As far as feeling full, I don't, I don't, I don't consider that. I guess I don't think about that uh, desire. I just have it, and and then I, yeah, I don't know. What about you? Do you feel full after most meals? I would say after most meals, I do. But I don't necessarily try. That's not necessarily the goal of the meal. It's sort of I'll eat while people are at the table and stuff. And so, for example, if it's just me and my... Well, Kyle, I've, eat, I've eaten with you. You have very large portions. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> and... I eat socially. When, when it's social and nothing else is happening, I'll just eat. But as soon as something yeah. else is happening, I'll quit eating and go do that instead it's a way of multitasking huh and so then when you're not with people you don't eat very like if it's just you and your wife i don't eat as much no kind of explains your adonis like body (laughs) (laughs) and my uh never mind did i tell you did i ever tell you what one of the lacrosse guys wanted me to get a tattoo of one of the guys i played lacrosse with in college no you never you never told me he wanted me on my on my legs to get thunder thighs tattooed on them. Thunder thighs or thunder calves? On my thighs. Oh, uh, you wanna? Do you wanna talk about that? That was it. Just, just that was it. That was the whole thing. He he was a pretty funny guy. Uh, so have you? Um, at some point, I think Peter in the Bible is called, or like the sons of Zebedee or sons of thunder. There's sons of thunder somewhere. Right, James and John. 
are the Boanerges. James and John. And I uh, suggested to like either a youth pastor or maybe it was, I don't remember. I don't remember how long ago this was, but I was like, do you think it's because they're gassy? And they got really offended. It was really funny. Just rocking the boat, Daniel. I know. Yeah. Well, then you got to get out and walk on the water. And Well, do you want to... Do you want to talk about some of the stuff you've been up to? Or you've got some pretty interesting questions here in the um, in the show notes. I sure do. That uh, I don't think we can get to all see. of them. I poured concrete and I almost I basically bruised my ribs terribly and was basically laid up for two weeks. Haven't really gotten any further forward on the, uh, the that project. Um, I just like, do you know what remesh is? It's, it's, it's essentially like wire. It's a wire grid that you put in. Oh, instead of rebar? Um, instead of rebar, exactly. And um, I caught the edge of it as I was like 10 minutes before we got the concrete there and just like couldn't get my hands under me at all and fell and just like fell on the side of my rib cage. Uh, did that happen right before the last growth group meeting we had? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so you... You remember? I re- uh, not before the last one. One maybe before that. I'm maybe. trying to remember when so, we. So you've been out of commission for now. like a month. Uh, yeah, I guess I was. I mean, and then I've just been busy with like your actual professional job. Wife and I, uh, went out of town with my family. We're going out of town with her family. Not this weekend, but next weekend. Um, yeah, it's just been like it's been pretty busy. One Saturday. Dude, when are you going to come out and visit Pullman? Uh, probably the weekend after that. Uh, the weekend after that is booked. We're actually booked until mid-October. but Maybe, I don't know. What are you guys, are you guys like in phase 10 at this point? Uh, no, all phases in Washington are frozen at where they were when. What phase were you in? We were in phase two or phase three. You guys just not paying I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of this. Oh, I'm tired this is of really funny. Phases. I'm tired of masks. I'm tired of everything. I have a I don't really deal funny thing to say. Well, that's why Trump's going to win. But the <laughs> the funny thing is we had had something like 150 cases in Pullman up until the students all came back, even though they were asked not to by WSU in uh-huh. an effort to spare the community yeah, yeah. from COVID. But and now you have a lot more. Now cases. we have a lot more cases, but no one's gone to the, no one's had to go to the hospital. Oh, okay. Um, That's nice. And it's funny. Be- when, when are we getting to the funny bit? Oh, okay. the funny bit is at at work, they give us a daily update on who at work or where at work there was someone who tested positive. And so mm-hmm. we get these emails saying, in this building, this person tested positive for COVID and they're recovering at home with mild symptoms. In this building, mm-hmm. same thing. My, recovering at home, mild symptoms. In this building, so someone... Tested positive for COVID and are recovering at home with no symptoms. <laughs> recovering at home with no symptoms. That's that's ideal. Um, you know, if you look at the John Hopkins data, we like flatten the curve. It's flatter. It's much flatter. That won't happen until Biden is president, Daniel. No, no, no. If you look at the data now, and I don't, is Biden our president? I don't, wait, what month is it? Yeah, no, uh, it's, it's much, much flatter. It's like, I don't know. We'll see if flu season kicks everything back up again, but I don't think it will. Yeah. Oh, this was another conversation I had. Um, I can't remember if I shared this with the growth group, but a, a friend was saying, you know, to a certain degree, there's almost a moral obligation for those of us who are not high risk to go and get COVID so that we can get herd immunity faster. But mm, So instead seems... of shutting down for a long time to protect the vulnerable, we only have to shut down the vulnerable for a short amount of time while all the healthy people get it really fast. What about the people who've, who've gotten it twice? Hmm? How many people have gotten it twice? At least two. Two people have gotten it twice. Out of At least. how many people have had COVID? More than two. More than like two million? Mm-hmm. I like the odds. You like those odds? Okay. All right. Fair enough. I'll take it. Uh, let's see. What else? Uh, I... Um... Throughout about 70% of my novel that I had just become stuck with and spent many hours working on a very um, thorough outline using the Leviathan method by, I don't know the person's name, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, and it was, I feel like I understood where I went wrong and now this, like I, I, like I can enjoy writing it again. Um, cool. As opposed to e- editing something that I had... I've been like not sure how to move forward for a long time. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it almost sounds like you had a bit of a sunk cost fallacy with your writing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I've been working on that some. Uh, Can you go more into the Leviathan method? Or maybe after you're done talking about the other stuff, I'd love to put a pin no, in that. I don't know that I have like a ton more to work on. So um, the Leviathan method is is <laughs> is 54 steps or something like that that you do ahead of writing any of your actual story. Okay. Right? Um and let me see if I can pull up. I started listening to this other podcast while I'm pulling this up, and they are so rough. It's amazing. Amazing how rough they are. There we go. All right. So it's 52 steps. Um, the first step is uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go through all the steps because that would. Is it about world building? Yeah. So, so like you first kind of answer the question what do you want your scope to be? You want it to be big, small, medium? Like, okay, is it about is it about somebody in a room or is it about an entire world? I can send this to you if you'd like. I'm happy to do that. Um, yeah, I'd be very curious to, to read it. And then you, you go through and work on like, okay, you've got, you know, you've got your characters. Uh, and then spend as much time on your antagonists as you do on your, your characters. So like, why do they want what they want? Um, okay. Which is kind of, right? And then... And then you you work through your conflict like okay what makes these protagonist and antagonist whether that antagonist is the weather like in to build a fire or it's um you know you and i in a wrestling match which you know that's 50 50 odds there um like why do why are they fighting what is what does one want what does the other want and why do those conflict and then um and then work through an outline and you, then like with that outline you're reviewing each of your characters including the protagonist antagonist what do they want at each of these junction junctures um and it kind of gives you so what's really easy to do is get stopped up on details while you're writing and like huh i'm really interested in the uh like how does the sewer system in this city work and you could spend a long time figuring out like how do sewer systems work like i don't actually know how do they make the water flow how do they do this how do they do that okay here's how uh, they're going to be in the sewer for a little bit, and here's what it might look like. And then it's like, well, that actually doesn't move the story forward. For I failed real hard there. Let me try again. It doesn't move the story forward at all, but you spend all this time on it, and it's like, well, I, I kind of want it in there then, so that way it's not wasted. But that's, you were kind of talking about a sunk fallacy, uh-huh. sunk cost fallacy. And that's kind of that. It's like, well, it actually doesn't help at all. Um, right. But you get to see that before you've spent a bunch of time writing it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, this sounds like project management for writing a uh, fiction, writing a novel or a story. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, so then you, you know, you go through like culture, you go through um, whether there's magic in the story, which is, you know, it's like, okay, well, what does that look like? How does it work? Like, why does one person have more or less than the other? Um, and then, like, economic variance that's kind of something that I don't like, everybody has. There's some kind of economic variance within within groups, right? And they'll have different access to right. different technologies. And like, okay, well, what kind of technology do your do the characters have access to? Do, do they have the same access as other people? Uh huh. Um. Anyway, and then and then to do the same thing, like okay, like there's a, it's really cyclical, which is kind of interesting. So you you start on a on a very broad level, so that scope is super broad. And then you get into your characters and then you get into your like your outline a little bit. And then and then you go back to your characters and you go back to your antagonists and you go back to the like you, you go into a little more depth in the outline. Like now right. that you have this, it's like, all right, now you have you have the conflict. You have the outline a little bit now. OK, so they're going to be in these different cities or these different places. Like, what does that city feel like? What does that you know, um, and so, and then you, you go back to, okay, well, how, okay, they grew up in this city, let's say, mm-hmm. how does that affect their, and then you go back to the characters, you go back to the outline, like, how does that influence this? How does, so you end up rewriting some of the same stuff over and over again. Um, this actually reminds me a little bit of how someone described a couple of uh, software developers he had. One was mm-hmm. a, a technical major. And the other was mm-hmm. a liberal arts major. And he said the technical major, when he would write code, he would um, set up all his knowns, unknowns, constraints, 
um, outcomes, all that stuff beforehand. And then he would sit down and and write the code. The liberal arts major, like the so the liberal arts major, by contrast, would sketch out some code really quick, and then he'd go back and he'd fill out the code. Then he'd go back, he'd fix and fill out the code more, and he'd he'd iterate through it. And ultimately, he said that their um, productivity, the the guy who was iterating, ended up being a little bit more productive than the guy who was technically trained and would set up everything even though they were both hmm. very smart um and motivated and qualified and everything yeah yeah it was it's just interesting to hear you talk about this iterative process and i've, I've heard of it an iterative process being used for everything from um from investing to uh business development to project development to design work um, really emphasizing the fact that you can't, because you can't know everything at the start, instead of trying to... Mm-hmm. It's better to start. Yeah, it's better to start, get a little bit of traction, and then come back around, get a little more traction, come back around, get a little more traction, just like you're describing. And it's, it's fascinating to me that you see this in all these different realms. Like I had never thought of it being in the literature creation realm as well, but it makes total sense. Yeah, well, I mean, before... I don't know if you've ever heard this about Tolkien, but he spent many years building his world. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that right, like he, he worked on building that world for, I don't know, like 10 years is what I've heard or 15 years, really long time. Right. And the only reason he wrote the story was to be able to share those, to share the world with other people. Like that's, I don't know if you've ever heard that. Which is such a cool reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, uh, I don't know, like I, I wouldn't have thought of myself as somebody wanting to do that, but I, like this story has been at least in its first form, like I was in high school for me. So that was 12 years ago, but I haven't been working on it. It's just been around in there. Right. It'd be nice to like be able to focus on something else as a project too, even if it's in the same world. But yeah, like I'm sure that for him, he had a really clear idea about what would cause conflict and what the characters would be like. Um, And like he had, it was, it was so vivid in his mind. I think anyway, it seems like it is reading the books Mm -hmm. and given how much it's impacted so many people um, and literature as a whole, like an entire genre basically came from those those books. Actually, yeah, was was this? Do you have you ever read the anything by Terry Brooks? No. Like the short of, oh, okay, sort of genre. That's like the first one. Anyway, but I don't know if that came out before or after Tolkien, uh, before the Lord of the Rings series. Um, we can move on to some of these other things. So I got a text from one of the volunteers for Carolyn Long, who's running against Jamie Herrera Butler. And uh, she said, are you planning on voting for Carolyn? And I was like, no, because I think Jamie Herrera Butler is doing a fine job. Yeah. She's also from Battleground. So it's like, I don't even know where Carolyn Long's from. She could be from around here as well, because Congressional 3rd District, I'm guessing that that's probably very local to me. Yeah. But I I would Um, agree that Herrera Butler has been doing good work um, yeah, on, on, on a lot of levels. Yeah. Um, but I, I, uh, I asked if she would support all <laughs> ranked choice voting as opposed to first past the post. Right. Have you, have you ever heard of this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Maine just did an experiment with it the last election and it actually seemed to work okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the I- basic idea is that let's say there are three people who are running. You can say, I like candidate a first B second and C third. Yep. And somebody else could say uh, B first, uh, A second, C third. And if you have two people voting for C first, then they would tie because basically like you can run essentially a bunch of elections with the, you know, different people as opposed to how it is now with first past the post. You just, it's basically whoever gets to 50% first wins. Right, which is, the argument is that that creates a very partisan system, and whereas you have to collaborate more if it's, you can't just pander to your base if you have a... um, a, It pushes the 
it pushes it towards a more centrist, like with uh, first past the post. Basically, it's just whoever has the most votes wins. And you could have, I think you could have, you know, if 20% voted together and the rest of the group voted for somebody else, you know, split their votes equally among 10 or whatever, eight other candidates, then the person with 20% would win that election because they got the most votes. Right. Does that make sense? And I mean, where this, the limitation of this, just to talk about that too, because on the surface, because we are dealing with the... Out, outworking of a first past the post system that is um that gave us joe biden and donald trump right okay among other issues it's very easy to romanticize it but one of the things that the alternative can lead to is you have governments that are so divided that that no one can form a majority so you end up having multiple elections to just try and form a government like they do in some of the european company, countries and it becomes do, very do they have do they have do they have ranked choice voting over there? Sorry, what did you say? Do they have ranked choice voting over there? In, in some of the countries, yes. And they have to run multiple elections? Well, what happens is you have a ranked choice voting can lead to multiple parties because instead of having to um, cater to a wide audience, you can cater to a smaller audience. And as long as you don't dissatisfy some of the other small audiences too much, you'll be the second or third choice for that small audience. Mm-hmm. And then your, your, your base will essentially get you to 30%. But then there are, there's another party at 20%, another party at uh, 40%. And, and, and then there's yeah. all this jockeying to see who can get the 20% party on their side so that you have a 50% majority and can get your agenda pa- passed. And it can mm-hmm. lead to a lot of stalemates. But we don't have a parliament the way that they do. Right. And most, like, we we don't have a PM. We have a president. Um. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, so I would prefer that the government get less done. They seem to do a bad job at everything they do, and so I would prefer that they do less things. Yeah, and the, that is a fair point. I, and they would have to work together, oh my goodness, to get those things done. So the only really the things that most people wanted done would actually get done as opposed to uh, a wall being built or not being built that may or may not be being paid for by another country. Like I have no idea what's happening with that. And honestly, I think most people don't want a wall built, but more people don't care than like, like there's 15% that care a lot one way and then another 15% and then 70% is like, I don't know, whatever. Like that's not the, that's not the reason I'm voting or not voting for that person. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting to talk to people who actually live on the border about that. Cause I think we're so far removed from it in many. We, but the Canadians, I mean, when are we getting a wall built there? Well, you don't have massive migration back and forth. Um, I guess you, you might have drugs coming in down south from BC. But I mean, the drug problem is as much, if not more, a, an American demand problem as it is a South American supply problem. Because if we didn't have the American demand for drugs, um, illicit drugs, you wouldn't, and legal drugs, you wouldn't have the the problems we do with drug trafficking and all that comes along with that. Yeah, but that wasn't my point. That's a side issue to what I was talking about, which was, I'm not saying we should or shouldn't care, but the I think the fact is most people do not care about building a wall at the border. Like, because they just see it as so, as, as you just pointed out, so far removed. Mm-hmm. But Also, we don't think about how much it's costing us. The drug problem or the what? What are you talking about? I, I, was, I was saying building, building structures like the wall. Yeah. Well, they're just talking about a chain link fence at this point. Just no, it's not a chain link fence. It's actually uh, steel beams. Are they building it? Oh yeah, I've talked to someone who's working on it. Hmm, it's a lot of wall to build. They're making good. They they're just, making progress. Yeah, I wonder who. I wonder if it's just one general contractor or a bunch of little ones who have sections. That's just a big project for like one organization. We can take this offline. Okay, sure. <laughs> That's a, anyway, we can, yeah, let's move on. Uh, You know that me and some of the people at Bible study used to play uh, a game together that would take some amount of time. Yeah. And you were never involved in that, right? Correct. We'll just, uh, so 
my wife's brother asked if I would be interested in, you know, spending a couple of hours once a month or maybe every other week playing a similar game, not the same. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm not, I mean, like, okay, so I, I enjoy spending time with him and uh, would like more opportunities to. Right, right. But it's it's a silly thing, right? It's, it's, you know, it's just a game. Things don't matter. And like, you know, even if you're going to say like Settlers of Catan, that does take a, that game takes a long time. Um, and other games also like can take a significant amount of time, but it's, I'm just curious, like, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Like, do you, do you participate in board games? If so, which one? So it's funny. You, I'm uh, glad you asked me this, um, this time instead of a previous podcast, because I think I would have had a very different answer for you. That would have been a little bit less productive um the okay. previous pod- podcast and some of that has come from listening to podcasts like the knowledge project and others where people mm. talk about um playing either either board games or particularly poker to understand get develop a sense intuitive sense of probability and also to um help with developing their sense of reading people and understanding um, group dynamics in pseudo stressful situations when, be, because really games, whether they're board games or sports, they're at ideally a way of practicing life in a very controlled way with very low consequences, but simulated risk and reward. And so from that standpoint, okay. I see it. If, if you're taking the game, if you're focused and taking the game seriously, that can lead to a, a significant amount of benefit. I think games that I think are particularly interesting are, are chess when it comes to uh, strategic thinking and and then poker is another one where you have the added element of... So chess is very much just logic and the person with the best logic slash creativity wins. Um, poker, you add in the element of chance and probability and understanding that um, probabilities are probabilities because they don't always work out in the long run they work out but it's important Mm -hmm. that you save enough keep enough powder dry keep enough cash in your back pocket that you can make it to where the probabilities will work out in your favor and you don't get wiped out putting it all in on a 98 percent chance that you'll win and then lose because the two percent happened that one time sure uh i think also in addition to probabilities and um like logic and creativity in a um poker game you also have a fair amount of social skills yes reading people yeah Mm -hmm. and then a couple other games i was introduced recently are board games are called one's called acquire which is very simply a an investing game um okay which which I thought was very fascinating in terms of trying to read people and read the market and where the market's going and Mm -hmm. invest wisely. And then another one that was fascinating to me in part because it was very quick to play, but also because it pointed out some of the limitations of um, the the federal reserve and all, all the banks, all the all the banks for all the major countries in the world, except for China, uh, just printing money to solve does sorry does china have like a gold standard no um china does not have a gold standard they they manage their currency as they see fit the intriguing thing about them is while for years they've been printing money to devalue their currency relative to the dollar this is the first Mm -hmm. time in since covid has been the first time in recent memory where they are being very conservative fiscally while everyone else is being very liberal fiscally when it comes to um, printing printing money. money. Yeah, okay. With, Hmm. that's it seems to, well, I mean, it seems to be they're putting, they're getting ready for a push to become the world's reserve currency. Mm. Where they have a stable currency, they have a stable government, and they can, and they've built a lot of infrastructure in, in places like Africa and Southeast Asia. And so... You, they have a number of countries that are beholden to them, but have also benefited significantly from their investment in infrastructure. Now, that hmm. investment means that China now owns quite a bit of real estate in East Africa and Southeast Asia, 
um, essentially creating a new um, colonial power. But mm. at the same time, those countries where we just the Europe and the United States had just been dumping general aid dollars with no real structure to them and mm-hmm. just basically turning those places into cesspools because of the welfare state we were creating. China has come mm-hmm. in and provided structure and order. And in some ways, not always, obviously, but in some ways, actually, I think benefited those countries to China's, I mean, it's to China's greater benefit. But my point is more that those countries are gaining more benefit from China's uh, benevolence, not benevolence, but China's infrastructure projects with strings attached than they were getting from well, like a like a like a benevolent dictator like that. Uh, I wouldn't use those words, um, but in where we were just handing governments over their money, which was then squandered because mm-hmm. it had no purpose. There was there was no sense. There was no skin in the game on their hand on their part. There were no strings attached in in large part. No, hmm. well, uh, you seem to react uh, more strongly than I expected to my benevolent dictator. Uh, is that because? Uh, was there one of those words that was, did I trigger you in some way or? Well, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a joking matter to talk about the, the communist regime as being benevolent, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Because of a lot of the atrocities that they have committed and continue to commit. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, okay. Fair point. So that was a a roundabout way to, so you, you think that there are to get back to games? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it sounds like there is real benefit to games that make you that essentially have you practice skills that you'll use in life. Yes, the key is that, being is you that, have to be focused during the game, which has been a weakness of mine, where I've typically just been unfocused and just messed around and gone. Why did I waste my time on this? But if you are focused, you can both have fun with the group, but also be honing skills that you can use in in the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, and I, I and so my 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 not my main question, but at least like a a point. It's like how valuable is it to well something my boss talks about all the time is esprit de corps, which he's from the like he was in the navy, and that's just you know com a camaraderie like a spirit of, of oneness in a group and how important that is. And it's like, is that something I should look for opportunities with people who I care about to essentially relax with them or have fun? Or, you know, even there are probably some skills we would be honing. Um, storytelling being one, which we can talk about whether that's beneficial or not. Um, I think crafting a narrative is important. Uh, not everybody would agree. I mean, that's the essence of sales. It's the essence of a lot of things. Um, like just thinking of one practical skill. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is is, yeah, having people buy into your narrative and um, and then that's that's economically valuable. So so then how how do you feel about like is it valuable to spend time with somebody and maybe secondarily. You get that. Uh, you get those additional skills. Absolutely, and I th- I think you can go back to Leviticus and Deuteronomy and look at the different feasts that God commanded mm-hmm. the Israelites to take part in, where they were very clearly not to be in the fields producing during those times. They were to be in Jerusalem. Either there was a feast of booths where they all created tents and stuff. There was um, Passover where they would. Um, remember the exodus and and enjoy the the feast of unleavened bread and the passover lamb together these were times that were not intended to be um expressly productive times in a sense because they were to be a reminder that productivity and the fruits of it comes from god it doesn't ultimately come from us which is a bit of a different element when you when you look at worship and the Sabbath and what that means, but taking it down a notch to hanging out with with people where where the primary purpose is is really to develop that relationship. I think is something we need as people. And as with it's everything, kind of what keeps us grounded. There's I wouldn't say it's what keeps us grounded, but with everything, there's moderation, right? Like there's a sure. proverb that the man who loves 
pleasure will um, either never be rich or always be poor. Um, there are a few different proverbs to that um, with, with that meaning behind them. And mm-hmm. and so obviously we want to make sure we're, at least I would say, I want to make sure I'm not in social circles where the norm is to drop everything for the sake of pleasure and relaxing um, all the time. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't think it's healthy to be in a social circle where the norm is to always be quote unquote productive all the time either. Hmm. Do you think that you like, okay, so let's say each of those is one side of a horse to use a, an analogy I've used once before. Do you think you're more prone to fall on one side than the other? I think I'm more prone to fall on the let's go have a good time side. Let's go relax side. Really? I would have, I would have guessed the opposite. You seem very productive oriented. And, well, um, I think that comes down to the people like yourself that I've made my core group oh i see huh i wonder if you and i are both better together than uh than apart because i definitely feel like i am more of a uh you know i care about being comfortable to the detriment of uh other things in my life but at the same time when there is something about that um interaction where we both know one of the reasons we're one of the big reasons we're coming together is to spur us on to um Good works, which I've been reading a book by a guy in, um, I think Matt Perman called What's Best Next. And in that book, he talks about Mm. how good works are any lawful act done in faith. So it's not, there's not like Hmm. good works, which are the things, the kind of the Roman Catholic idea of the saints do good works, you know. But in in a true understanding of scripture, when you look at some of the things that are described as good works, for example, he points out that. Um, Paul, when he's writing about which widows should be included on the list of widows or what's a qualification for being on the list of widows to, to receive um, financial benefits from the church, uh, some of those things he describes are um, raising raising children and um, helping out the the hungry. And at the end of the list, he says, and, and something to the effect of, and all who have been involved in good works like these. So there, these are things that aren't necessarily things you think of, oh, this person invented the cure for cancer. They did a good work. These are things you would normally place, he's pointing out, in an everyday category. But in reality, the, in the, the Bible points out that these are good works. We should talk about them as good works. And we should, um, as we're doing them in faith, recognize that these are good works that God has created for us to do which I thought was a very encouraging way to look at um, things I might normally view as being mundane. Like when I, the, the act of eating breakfast and going, to, just getting out the door to go to work is yeah. a good work if I'm doing it in faith as mm. I eat the food, trusting God that it will give me the energy to then go to work where I'm trusting God that he will provide the increase as opposed to me doing it on my own, um, mm. on my own uh, strength or in my own strength, and as opposed to me doing things that are not lawful for, are, are clearly contrary to God's word for for work. Or I'm not sure, sure what I would eat for breakfast that would be unlawful. But I mean, you could eat something not out of faith. Yes, right? yes, but but th- there are two components, right? There's the component that it must yeah, be lawful, yeah. and the component that must be done in faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, uh, so I appreciate that. That's, that's good. It's helpful. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's uh. uh so I, I'm having so the the last episode isn't published. You might have noticed. I, I was like on a every Friday schedule for like three weeks, and then and then just like didn't. I've been so hectically busy that. <laughs> Perfect. Me too. So so my one of the reasons this last episode wasn't up is because I didn't know what to call it and I don't know what to call this one you, see, you notice how number six has no title wait numbers number so number six was not the one that you put the not title on yeah that's the actual title by the way I don't know if I made that clear okay cool because <laughs> I thought it was funny uh I I don't remember what we talked about I I guess I'll have to go back and re-listen to episode six because I don't remember what we talked about it's it's not up. How would you listen to it, Kyle? Um, have you put it in on? No, no, you haven't. So I have no way of listening to it. So I'm off the hook. It's secret, secret. 
this is Daniel here. If you like the podcast, would you please tell your mother? You can also email us at socratichobbits at gmail.com to let us know what you think. Thanks for listening.